Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Uh, I am Bob Lemieux. I'm the director of strength and conditioning at uh, Kent State University. We're going to uh, catch up with Bob and, and tackle a topic here. Um, but before we get into the topic of the day, uh, actually, I don't have a lot of the news and reader mail with me today because we're on site here uh, at Bob's facility. But uh, let's start with your origin story. Um, this is going to lead into our topic, and I can sort of spoil this up front. The topic's going to be hypertrophy. Uh, in the life of a strength coach, right? Because I think if you go online, you kind of get the opinion or the idea that uh, it's all about, you know, mass and hypertrophy, and you see all these, like, personal trainers talk, and it's really not necessarily the single most important thing in the life of a strength coach. They have a lot of other responsibilities. But uh, Bob's interesting because, uh, well, I don't want to spoil it, but Bob has a real interest in hypertrophy. And so let's start with that. Why do you do what you do? Well, basically, I mean, I think I, I started off uh, as somewhat of a meathead. Uh, I think we like to lift weights, and it's a sensory thing. You like to feel the weight on you, and it may start in high school to build muscles for sport or to look good. And like, like any, any guy in high school wants to build pecs and shoulders and everything else. But um, ultimately speaking, as an athlete, I, I was a soccer player, hockey player, baseball player, and uh, I wasn't the highest skilled athlete. And what I found through high school was that when I lifted weights, I became faster and stronger. So even though I wasn't as skilled as some of my teammates, I was able to survive ice hockey uh, because I was faster and I could basically just run into people. See, now that's what and, I remember and, about and, you back in the day is the, the hockey background. Exactly. Right? I mean, that's got to be an incredibly physical sport where the strongest survive. And, and that's the thing about it is, 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 is I was able to survive physically. I could manhandle guys. I could hit. I was fast. I was strong. And, and that was my niche. And, you know, I, I was not necessarily the fighter, but I was a very physical player. And I think that was able to get me to college to play Division One club hockey. And, and, and I had a great time with it. But, you know, through, through high school and college, I always looked at players as in, man, I wish this guy would have lifted weights. He'd be an animal. Or these guys over here, they'd be so much better. And uh, some guys didn't do it. They didn't, they didn't need, quote-unquote, need it because they felt like they were already good enough. And, and through college, uh, I lifted weights. And I actually met you in college as an undergrad while you are doing your doctoral work here at Kent State and uh, got involved in the lab and doing research and um, got an opportunity to do an internship here at Kent State. And uh, I did an internship under uh, Coach Ryan Tedford. He's now the head strength coach at the University of Virginia for football. And uh, he gave me an opportunity to intern with them here in the weight room, and it was a great experience. I learned so much more, and it wasn't just lifting weights. It wasn't about chasing a pump. It wasn't about what you could bench press. It was really about training and not just getting a workout in and making yourself tired or beating yourself down every day, but training with a purpose for a goal. And uh, I actually worked at the YMCA in Greater Cleveland for three and a half years, 
as the director of uh, health and fitness there. I've worked for Progressive Insurance as a health and wellness consultant in their fitness center. Uh, their, their national headquarters are in Cleveland, Ohio. And then I got the call in 2001 to come back to Kent State um, and be an assistant strength coach. And at the time, I was pursuing a master's degree in nutrition. And uh, I came back here, and I've been here now. This is going to be the start of my 15th season. Wow. And, uh, and, and I wouldn't change anything for the world. You know, the opportunity to work with athletes on a daily basis and put them in situations that challenge them to make them better athletes is the ultimate goal, but we're going to use weights to do that. We're going to use speed, agility, plyometrics, flexibility, yoga, nutrition. You know, all these things are different components of developing an athlete. You know, elite athlete doesn't mean elite lifter. So we've got to teach them things in the weight room that are going to help them with their sport right. and, and help their bodies survive, you know, and, 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 and fix imbalances and all those types of things. Right. You know, I don't want to get too nostalgic, but I think some of the listeners, like all these old guys, you know what I mean, they're always going on. In fact, I got an email a couple of weeks ago. Somebody said, ask me about for my wisdom on something. And I'm like, but anyway, I'm going to get nostalgic for a minute. I just walked by the old Lake Hall weight room. Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, and it's not even, of course, it's completely remodeled into oh. some kind of undergraduate center of excellence or something. I don't know what it is over yeah, there, but, yeah. you know, and uh, that made me kind of sad because that was a remnant. That was back in the days. Do you remember Kent State had a, they had a bodybuilding and powerlifting competition, uh, maybe not every year, but there was actually a day yeah. where there was a Kent State like bodybuilding competition, and that's almost unheard of now. I think a lot of young guys, they're more about performance kinds of lifting in yeah. some ways, you know what I mean? Like you see a lot of the, uh, the CrossFit and the MMA and all that kind of stuff, but back in the day, I think what motivated people... Uh, was more or less pure bodybuilding hypertrophy. It was visual. It was visual. It was yeah. a visual thing, hypertrophy, size training. We actually just hosted uh, Kent State, uh, not the university, but the, I think it's the North Coast Classic that's up in Lakewood usually every year. They actually had it here oh, this did past they? spring in May. Yeah, the North Coast and, and, is big. And, and they had it here. And uh, Dean Caputo, is that his name? Yeah, Dean Caputo. Well, yep. He was here, and they were setting up, and it was, a, it was a pretty good event that they had. I wasn't here for it, but I know oh, that they Oh, I should totally get him it, on the show. They brought it to the... Uh, uh, to the Mac Center here it was pretty neat. That's cool. Anyway, so let me ask you a, a sort of a tough question. No, go so, ahead. Uh, what's what's the biggest you ever ever were like me? height and weight? Yeah, did you go through a lot of periods of like uh, bulking or? Well, did, are yeah, you, more you even know what? It's, it's funny you say that because I had this conversation uh, with someone today. Uh, an intern was asking about training and hypertrophy and size and. Um, Right now, I'm about 5'9", about 195 pounds, so I'm not a very large individual. Um, but the biggest I ever got up to was about 227, and, uh, and that was coincidentally uh, during the time that my wife was pregnant with our first, uh, <laughs> our first son. So it was like, hey, I want to eat this. Okay. Hey, I want to go here. Okay. Now, the good thing is because of what we were doing food-wise – I tailored my training to hopefully not absorb most of that as fat. Right. You know, I was around 10, 12% at the time, but I, I was pretty, I was pretty thick. You know, I'll tell five, you, 12%, that's big. I was pretty thick. That's big. Um, the, the light, you know, lightest I've been obviously was in college. I was like, I, I played about 180, 185 pounds in college, mm-hmm. ice hockey. And when you play, when you skate for two hours every day of the week, it's hard to really gain any size. I gained, I think the biggest jump after college was about 20 pounds just in the first six months of just being mature, yeah. picking up and kind of adapting to not skating as much, metabolism slows down a little bit. But you know, I, the, 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 it's funny you say that because the biggest I was, or, or we'll just say heaviest that I was, wasn't necessarily when I was the strongest. So we look at when you ask about hypertrophy, you know, yeah. people trying to get increased size or, or, or muscle size doesn't always mean that you're going to be stronger yeah. you well, know, and vice versa. 
we're going to dig into that in the topic big time. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your lifts like now? I mean, I saw a video you were doing some reps with 405, so you're still pretty strong. But by the way, maybe tell everybody how old you are and then maybe some of your favorite lifts. <laughs> so uh, it's funny. Uh, chronologically, I'm 40 years old. I just turned 40 this year. And uh, as, as a college strength coach, I think it's important that you've got to be able to demonstrate what you do. Uh, I know it's more about communicating to the kids, but you do still have to look the part. They've got to look at you and go, okay, this, this guy or this, this lady can teach me about strength development or can demonstrate speed or agility. Uh, so I do train still on a regular basis. I usually test, I max out a 1RM in, in a bench press, uh, a squat, a power clean, a deadlift, two to three times a year. Uh, one time is always in November on my birthday. I want to know how strong I am when I turn 40 or whatnot. So I, I do still train. And, uh, you know, I'm 40 and I've been, you know, lifting weights now for you know, 25 years. Right. And really training, this is kind of funny, I've been lifting weights for 25 years, but I've really been training for about 15 years. Yeah, I got and, it. And I, and I say that because, you know, through high school and college, you kind of pick up the magazine Muscle and, Muscle and Fiction or Muscle and Fitness, excuse me, uh, you know, Flex, uh, Muscle Media, and you just kind of pull out and you just start going to town and going to town, and you really don't know where you're going. You're just doing, you see a picture of a guy, and you start doing it. You see what their diet is, and you start doing it. And it was just working out. It wasn't really training. Yeah. And the first year that I got here, you asked the size question, this is kind of cool, is I got here about 190 pounds, and we go through the winter, and I'm learning about how football trains and wrestling trains, and we're going through some things, and, and the head strength coach says to me, hey, summer's coming up. Are you going to do the program? I didn't know what he meant by that. He goes, well, this is our summer program. Are you going to do it? Because he kind of let me do my own thing here and there. And usually, as a staff, like now, we train as a staff. Every day, we train as a staff. We do something so my interns can learn. They can learn why we're doing what we're doing. It's a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just sitting and talking, we can, we can talk about it, we can see it, and we can do it. So that summer, I started the summer at about 190, 195 pounds. By the end of summer, I was 217. Really? I had gained about 20 to 25 pounds. Did you purposely eat to help adjust? or? Well, what I did was I was doing this football program. I was actually running twice a week with the team to experience. I never played football in my life. And yeah. This is my opportunity to kind of experience it a little bit. Sure. And you build credibility with the athletes. When they see you doing this stuff, they're going to jump in. All right, well, coach is doing this. I'm going to do it even harder. So the cool thing about it was is we were, we were getting here about 6 in the morning, and I'm here till 6 or 7 at the night in the summertime. But we shut down the weight room in the middle of the day for groups. You know, we, we would shut it down for a couple hours. So it was, you know, it was wake up, have my uh, oatmeal, my coffee in the morning, come in. I'd ha- I, we'd have our first group train at 7 a.m. I'd have a shake and a peanut butter sandwich. Then we'd train the second group, you know. Then, and then we'd come in and have a snack. And so it was like would, a cue to eat again. Yeah, we eat would again. train. It was a very, it was a, it was the, what I learned about this was it was organized. It was planned out. I would do this. I would have. I would train from eleven to twelve. Have lunch. Weight room closed at one, and I lived about forty-five minutes to an hour away. My first semester here, I commuted, so instead of driving home, I went to the pole vault pits and took a nap thirty minutes. So I wow. trained, I ate, I slept, and I repeated it. Yeah. And I ate. It's almost like I ideal ate. lifestyle. It was, like. and you know what? It was the program in combination with all that. So that was kind of the eye opener to me that this new top, new style of training not just working out or getting a pump or doing whatever had a huge impact now also the periodization that we used was a lot different than going 30 sets of chest on one day 30 sets of legs the next day you know when you do that 
and you and you know this as a competitive bodybuilder that when you trash your body every day, we learn in school that you you train it one day and let it rest for seven days. What a lot of people don't understand for hypertrophy is that even though theoretically the muscle tissue is recovering for seven days, what a lot of elementary lifters don't understand is that your nervous system starts to tasks. You, you have your, your cortisol levels that go up. You, know, you have all those stress hormones going on. So if you're, forgive me, kicking your own ass every single day, you're going to be under-recovered or over-trained pretty quick if you're not doing the right things. So what we had with our training program was we had some heavy days and some light days and some volume days and some low-volume days. And that plan really worked for hypertrophy and strength. And I still use that program to this day with a lot of my redshirt guys. On my redshirt athletes that come in four days and we need to get a little bit bigger, we'll use that with them, uh, provided their sport isn't taking a lot of energy from them, from a nervous system standpoint, from a calorie standpoint, basketball players that are kind of skinny. When they run in practice for two to three hours a day, that could be three, 4,000 calories. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. Just, just in, what they're burning, not what they're using. Right. So um, it, 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 was a, it was a great eye-opening experience for me to go through that and really see, and I bought in and... And looking at the big picture of not just nutrition and sleep, but how you periodize your volume and your intensities to get results in a training program. Right. And not just doing, with all due respect, body part splits. No, you well, that's I mean? it. I mean, I, I wasn't I, getting anywhere with that. And we'll get to that after the break for sure, because I think you're right. It, it's a good point that, like, the bodybuilding exercise programs that guys get on, they read a book and, you know, they learn how to do something. They may not really know fully the why that underlies it, maybe, or. And, you know, it's not like you got to have a master's degree to go do some of this sort of stuff. But you're right. It's more like spinning your wheels. Trash yourself, trash yourself, trash yourself. Right. And there's no, like, end goal, like, overarching, you know, macro cycle. Like, at the end of this year, what do I want to be? You know, and I think bodybuilders get a lot of critique for that because yeah. they're not as incrementally progressive right. as, like, the Olympic lifters or the power lifters. But, um Let's go back to the one question I had for you. Though. What are your lifts like now? What, oh, or, my lifts. Or some of your best lifts. Sorry I don't know if you're, yeah, you, we, if you're um, your best now. So basically, my goal, uh, my best squat ever, and this is a belt. I don't knee wrap. I'm a pretty raw person. My best squat ever is 550 pounds to parallel uh, with a belt, um, and, and that's done in a pair of flat chucks, uh, not Olympic shoes or, or barefoot or whatever else. Um, I did that when I was 20... Uh, I'm sorry, 32 mm-hmm. or 33, so about seven, eight years ago. Uh, my best bench press uh, is 410. Oh, that's good. And then my best uh, power clean from the floor is 325 pounds. Um, I've never really had a great deadlift. Uh, my, my max deadlift ever with a trap bar is only like 500 pounds, and that's mm-hmm. a trap bar. Regular bar, I think, was 470. So uh, my deadlift is lacking compared to my back squat but i'm a very hip dominant guy um i'm I'm not very good at front squatting i'm not very quad dominant i'm very hip dominant um which doesn't make sense because the deadlift's so low but i just have never really trained that uh that wasn't one of the things that i grew up on it was more about cleans we did a lot of rdls but uh, my goal every year is to be once a year to be at 90 percent of those best lifts ever at some point in the year Mm -hmm. i want to squat 500 pounds you know, if I, at some point I want to be at 360 bench press. And it may not be that I bench and squat in the, the same cycle. That's going to be the goal. But I, that to me, if I can be at 90% of my best ever, you know, for, for a, a non-chemically enhanced, non-geared-up guy, 
I'm pretty happy with that. And I'm healthy. You know, I got two kids. I want to be right. able to run and play sports. And the kids play soccer and they play baseball and stuff like that. So I want to still be able to throw a baseball and pitch wiffle ball and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I, we, we tested out this past winter. Uh, and I did hit 505 on the squat, you know. Oh, nice. Um, and, yeah. and, and that was, I was pretty happy because in, in November when I turned 40, or I was 39, I missed it. You know, I had only gotten up to four. Uh, 70, and then I missed the five, the 505, but I got it this winter. Mm-hmm. Now, my bench, I've had some shoulder issues, some elbow, elbow issues. I did hit 350 on the bench press uh, last fall. So in that calendar year, I'm still there. I mean, I just, I, know, I don't think I'm ever going to be there. The funny thing is, when I hit those numbers, I wasn't 227. Right. I was, no, 200, right. I was 200 pounds. Oh really? So you're pretty small. Actually. I, I was. I mean, yeah. Re- but I relative. found that I found that I was. I don't know what if it was just a, a byproduct of the training that I happened to be lighter. If it was the the strength cycle that I was on that was better at that time. Right. But yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it just could have been that when I was bigger or heavier to say that my training may have been different because that's right. As a strength coach, when an athlete is in the off season, that's my in season. Like this summer, I'm down six seven pounds. This is week eight in the summer with both basketball teams training five days a week, volleyball training four days a week. That's my on time. Mm-hmm. So my nervous system is a little bit rattled from just coaching itself. And then when I train, I've got to look at my training volumes and my intensities just so I can still do what I do. Now, when those teams go in season, they might be with me two or three days a week for 30 to 40 minutes. So now I have less work expended energy. That's when I can amp it up. As a, in my, my training. So a lot of those correlations with body weight and strength may not be the same because of that time of the year. Right. Yeah, I think it is. I, in fact, I just got a, a listener mail from a lady who's a power lifter, competitive, mm-hmm. and she's experimenting with bulking. Uh, and we're going to address that question on air pretty soon. But all her, all, like all of her numbers went up because she gained, you know, she only gained yeah, yeah, like yeah. eight pounds or something. Yeah. I mean, it's relative, of course, right, you know, right, right. a woman. But... You know, that's the conventional wisdom, I think, especially in the squat. You know, when you gain, when your body mass is bigger, your numbers go up. You right. know, but you're typically right. That's speaking, that's all things really, all things speaking, equal, yeah, being yeah. equal. And you, like you said, the training might have been a little different or whatever. Okay, I'll tell you what. Uh, let's. We're going to go to break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about hypertrophy for strength coaches. Or you might consider the difference between bodybuilding and athletics strength coaching. So we'll be back in just a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press and Protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks.
Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. <laughs> All right, everybody, we are back. Um, it's Lonnie, and I'm here uh, on site with coach, strength coach Bob Lemieux, and we're going to talk about hypertrophy for strength coaches. Uh, and again, I, this sort of came up because Bob and I were just talking yesterday on the phone, and you know, sort of talking about YouTube and a lot of podcasts, and so you, you get this sort of a bro science kind of thing about what Bob was referring to earlier, which is you're lifting, but you're not training with any type of overarching goal, you know what I mean, other than just take up more space kind right. of thing. But there's not a lot of, you know, um, microcycles leading to mesocycles, leading to a macrocycle and some of the structure and all that. But having said that, I mean, maybe share your thoughts about where does hypertrophy fit in with what you do as a university strength coach versus when you were just trying to you know, be huge. Okay, okay, be huge. <laughs> be huge. Um, you know, muscle hypertrophy in, in a college setting, and, and I think that any sports setting, I think sometimes gets confused with bodybuilding. And uh, ultimately speaking, it is an increase in, in muscle size, ultimately speaking, hypertrophy. But you look at, you know, getting pumped up versus mild fibro hypertrophy, you're trying to build some structural proteins versus just pumping up. But a lot of times, you're going to have football players who need to get bigger so they can survive the nature of their game. You know, they're going to have basketball players so they don't get pushed around the paint. Or you're going to do some things to physically make some athletes bigger sometimes. That may be the ultimate goal. But a lot of times, muscular hypertrophy with athletes is more about, it's, it's an early phase in linear periodization. You go through hypertrophy phase, you know, basic strength, maximal strength. And if you use linear hypertrophy, or excuse me, linear, linear periodization, but a lot of times the hypertrophy that we build can be used a couple different ways for athletes. Uh, if you're going to hypertrophy the deltoids, all right, for example, and you're using the bench press as a, as a strength exercise, you want to increase the size of the shoulders or, or the, the triceps or the pectoralis major so that when you begin to load them heavier, the joints are protected. Uh, if you use squats as an exercise, you might do some hypertrophy work for the quadriceps, the hamstrings, and the glutes, and even the erectors in the back, so the body can stabilize heavier loads. So a lot of times, hypertrophy for athletes is increasing size a little bit, not to be bulky or bodybuilding, but so that when you begin to load them, because you want performance, you know, 
power and strength, the body doesn't fall apart during those lifts. You know, so it's a protection me, thing. Let me interject this too. I was talking to uh, Ray Eady. Uh, did you know Ray? Yeah, he yeah. Was, yeah. Was, the, was, that Wisconsin, yeah. was that Wisconsin? Yeah, he's up at Madison now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But yeah, when I was uh, teaching uh, and doing the sports nutrition stuff, uh, I had a conversation with him. You know, we had good conversation. He'd say stuff like, Lonnie, don't say gluconeogenesis. They don't care what that is, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But, but he actually, I said, so what's your main purpose? What's your charge in your job description? Is it performance? And he said, no, it's injury prevention. Number one on my list, my number one job, and it sort of made me think about you, is, you know, so the guys are tough enough uh, and they're, they have enough stability that they're, they don't get injured. Not that the performance isn't important. Sure it is. Yeah. But it just it, it stunned me that, that you know, in his job description, that seemed to be high, if not highest, on the list of his duties, is to make them strong enough and tough enough that they didn't blow joints and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that's, that's actually which, which is what leads into my second part of hypertrophy for athletes is injury prevention. And, and a lot of times, and, 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 and when you talk to college strength coaches or strength coaches, is if, if you have an injured athlete, that can't play their sport. So ultimately speaking, you don't want the kids getting hurt, either in the weight room or on their court or field or ice or whatever their playing surface is. You want the athletes ultimately to be as healthy as possible. And, and, and this is a real conversation. There are some strength coaches that my job is to make athletes fast, explosive, strong, okay, and keep them as healthy as possible. Some, some strength coaches, and this is no fault to them, it's just philosophically where they fall is, first of all, we've got to make sure that they're as healthy as we can, and then we'll worry about performance later. And that's okay too, but ultimately the head coach tells me, Bob, they need to run faster or be stronger. Now, I'm never going to put an athlete in a situation to get hurt, right. but I've got to make sure I'm meeting those goals at that time being measured upon my success. Not that I ever want kids to get hurt, but you look at the NBA this year. In the last couple of years, there's a lot of bad injuries. And I'm not going to knock any of those strength coaches, but I just read this on the internet the other day, and we talk about strength and conditioning coaches. Are we doing what's best for the athletes, or are we doing what the athletes like because it's not as hard and they can do it? And it kind of, the functional, functional movement is ultimately the most important thing. We got to have that. We screen our kids. But if all you do is functional stuff and you don't have strength, you're going to fall apart. And that's where I get to hypertrophy and performance. We'll look at the posterior deltoids, the gluteus maximus, kids that come in that are very quad dominant, volleyball players, they come in that are very knock-kneed and quad dominant, they got no glutes, and they wonder why they've got jumper knee, jumper's knees. No, patellar tendonitis is the fact that they're not using their glutes and the hamstrings, right. the posterior chain, to accelerate and decelerate right. the body. Which are bigger muscles, so, probably a better strategy well, anyway. Right? Well, it's I mean, bad when their quadriceps are bigger than their glutes. Right. Yeah. And, and, that's, and they wonder why, so we have to, to hypertrophy the muscles a little bit to, to balance things out again to protect them from their sport. And, and a lot of times hypertrophy is a byproduct of our training. It isn't the reason we train. We train them to be fast, strong, explosive athletes, male or female. If you need to get bigger, we can talk about nutrition and some diet and, and some things to do that. But ultimately speaking, our goal is to perform better and be as healthy as possible at the same time. And some athletes develop hypertrophy at the same time. Um, it's funny with females. I deal with gymnasts and volleyball players, and I've been here a long time. I've been here for 14 years. The first 10 years was just female athletes. I had some wrestlers and baseball players, but I don't want to bulk up, coach. I don't want to do this. Ultimately speaking, I'm training them to be fast, strong, and explosive. If you eat clean, you'll be lean. If you eat whatever you want, you're going to bulk up. We'll talk about calories and, and the amount of calories, and is it a calorie, a calorie, a calorie versus quality calorie, but the bottom line is athletes control a lot of the hypertrophy more than I do. 
because my job is to protect them from their sport and build up the joints around the knees, around the hips, around the shoulders, the spine, the trunk, so they can survive the nature of their sport. Basketball players are on the hardwood eight months out of the year, nine months out of the year. You know, I've got to make sure their bodies can survive running a mile or two or four on the wood per day so they don't get hurt and overtrain and, right. and they can and they can be strong when they need to be. So in a sense in 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 its hypertrophy your athletes is injury prevention itself, provided they can still move and they can perform at their best. Right. With a certain amount of volume, you would think, at least if, there, if there's enough intensity there, yep. you're going to hypertrophy. Right. You know what I mean? It's, it's a bigger engine. Well, it's it's going to be a product of a faster-moving organism. It's going to be a little bit bigger. i got a funny thing for you. you I, I teach a strength course here at the university, strength and conditioning. We use the NSCA book for that course, and we talk about some of the myths. You know, the lightweight high reps for toning and the heavyweights for bulking. And I tell them, the amount of load you use tells you what type of strength you're developing. The heavier it gets, the more impact it has on maximal strength. The lighter it gets, the more impact it has on endurance. Now, the overall volume and loading and nutrition has an effect on hypertrophy. Because you can have someone do two sets of 20. If you put 275 on the bar on back squats, and you do, you do 20 reps at 275, relatively speaking, and you rest five minutes to do it again, your legs are going to grow. Right, right. That's not lightweight high reps. I mean, maybe 50% for some guys or 60%, but you're going to grow from that as opposed to doing the, the, the pink dumbbells in the corner and the, the tricep kickbacks for 20. Yeah, yeah. So really hypertrophy, and, and we could talk about loading parameters, and is, is it three sets of eight at you know 60 to 70%, or is it eight sets of three at 80 to 90%? Well, let me ask you this. That how do you deal with individual differences versus like a team? You know, a coach says, here's the requirement, here's what I want for my team, but you get somebody who's not tolerating you know, the multiple sets with 275. Yeah. Do you have the authority to tweak that and Absolutely. say, and, and just tell his buddy, shut up, you can handle that volume and he can't? Yeah, one of the things that I've learned is is dealing with multiple types of athletes, uh, basketball players who are six foot 10, 190 pounds, you know, right. versus football players who might be six foot six, 310 pounds, you know, so you deal with different types of athletes, wrestlers gymnasts, volleyball players, and you look at, even more importantly, how they're built. Some athletes have really long legs and short torsos. Some athletes have shorter, more proportionate torsos to leg you know, lengths and stuff like that. And you look at the coaches. Some coaches will say, Bob, it's your program. You do what you've got to do. Some coaches are a little bit more conservative about, you know, concerned about, hey, look, at this school, we kind of did it that way. I like doing this stuff in the weight room. And you've got to be cooperative. We are here to help them win and be successful. Uh, without selling out, if there's something dangerous, we'll definitely step in and say, hey, look, you know, I think we should be doing this. This is going to hurt them, or this isn't good for them. It's not very productive. Um, a lot of a lot of sport coaches think more is better. He's skinny. He should be lifting five days a week. Oh yeah. Well, that's just going to amp their metabolism up right. so high that they can't gain weight. It's working hard, not so, smart. Like then. some of my yeah. basketball players, I actually cut them down to three days of lifting. Now they come in five days a week, but we lift like a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then Tuesday and Thursday we'll do mobility, maybe some biceps and triceps, some direct. Mm-hmm. You know, vanity work, but not but, a lot but of calorie nothing, drain. Not a lot of ca- not a lot of nervous system stimulation. Not a lot of calorie draining stuff. Where let's say I got some big post players, they'll still train Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But on Tuesday, Thursday, we might do some conditioning with them, some strongman conditioning or some things like that, where they can burn the calories, but I'm not crushing their joints. Right. Some low to no impact stuff, some heavy medicine ball carries or goblet carries or farmers walks, things that make them strong but get them breathing. Yeah. Um, you just got to be careful with the skinny guys because you know college athletes. 
if I could, I, re, I would much rather control their food and sleep than I would their training, actually, because that's two-thirds of the pyramid, and they have total control over that. Even if we can give them the food, they control when they go to sleep. They control a lot of the things. You know what I used to say all the time food. when I was uh, when I was a sports nutritionist on top of my teaching duties, but I used to say, listen, you're part of a program, right? You're a football program, let's say, or an athletics program. 90% of your training day is not on the court or the field. You know, if let's say you're on the court of the field for two and a half hours, ninety percent of that twenty-four is on you. Right. Eat, sleep, and it's it always struck me that so many universities, uh, and again, no offense, but they'll yeah. pay the strength staff right. to give expert programming, you know, or pay the coach to do expert skills development, but then. There's nobody there on sort of the nutritionist lifestyle side of things, at least not not as actively Absolutely. as they invest in the other stuff. Uh, you know? RDs, you know, and, and even like, and I got this from Buddy Morris, who, who's with the Arizona Cardinals, and he is a brilliant man, and it, he, he made it really simple. And I use it with all my athletes. I say, look, food is for your body. It makes you go. It helps you recover. It makes you grow. Do different things like that. Sleep is for your brain. It helps your nervous system reset. You've got to have your sleep. You've got to have your food. You control that. So for as much as it feels like we're controlling your lives about, oh, they're going too hard, you control how you feel every day. What happens to your phone or your computer when you have too many things opened up? It slows down. You've got to shut everything down, unplug it, control all the It's a good analogy. Yeah. Right? Yep. Same thing with your body. The master computer between your ears controls all this. And if it's out of whack, it's going to affect your performance. So I tell them, food for the body, sleep for the brain, and you've got to do both parts. Otherwise, the training and the practice and the, and the competition isn't going to work 100%. Right, right. So would you consider yourself uh, hypertrophy, maybe not hypertrophy dominant, but do you have a hypertrophy focus? Do you think, because of your own background, I mean, you know, you're almost 230 at 5'9", more or less in shape. I mean, that's pretty big. I mean, yeah. do you find yourself more on the hypertrophy side of the spectrum compared to other strength coaches? Um, actually, no, no, I, I actually, I would say that I'm a little conservative with hypertrophy, um, with most of my athletes. If a coach comes in and says someone needs to get a little bigger, I'm going to up my training volumes a little bit. And sometimes it's not about doing, you know, the, the, the eight to 12 range. It might be six, six sets of six. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a, like a six ten basketball player doing a set of 12 squats. That's a lot of mechanical work. That's a lot of time on attention. So instead of challenging them with higher reps, it might be more sets, increase a couple more sets in there. So I, and again, only I would say I'm conservative on the hypertrophy side is because athletes, I hate to say it, for all the information that's out there, they say they don't know what to eat. They, they're not disciplined to do it. You know, yeah. I mean, all, if you want to be a good student, you got to study every day. You know, everyone can go to practice because you have to be there. But who makes them sleep? Who makes them eat? You know, being a disciplined student should reflect in being a disciplined athlete. So because the volume will, will tax the nervous system and, and more the calorie expenditure, sometimes I'm a little cons- especially the female athletes. Female athletes, um, my wrestlers, uh, gymnasts, athletes that cannot hypertrophy, uh, I'm going to focus more on the intensity and keep that down. And, and I found that, and I, we made that joke before we got started, is you give me eight heavy sets of three before you make me do 10 of anything and I'll do that. But I think that carries over my training now just from a recovery standpoint because of my age and everything else. But um, I am a little conservative because there are still some strength coaches that it's, it's, it's 10 by 10. It's volume. It's it. And I think that for a week or two or three, maybe, but you know, from my experience, athletes would begin to quote 
overtrain only because they're under recovering. Yeah. Around weeks six, seven, or eight, mm-hmm. if you haven't deloaded them or structured your program properly. So yeah. you just go into the gym and go to the body part split for six, seven, or eight. You're going to start, coach, I hit a plateau. Well, we need 100 rep sets. Come on. Right. You know, you need to do less. You're overdoing it. You're cooking yourself. Well, and see, that's what, that was one of my things. From the nutrition side, I would always sort of – I'm trying to educate the coaches. But just like you, I was there to support what they were doing. Yeah, you know, they're yeah, the director. Yeah, yeah. They're the yeah, orchestrator. Yeah. And I would say stuff like that too. I mean we were just talking the other week on the podcast about six weeks to peak strength. You know, yep. if you're go- like really heavy loads and yeah. that sort of stuff and p- individuals differ in that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's almost the default of a lot of team coaches that if you're underperforming, oh my guys are out of shape. Train them harder. And yeah. that could be exactly the right. opposite right. of what they need. They Absolutely. need to sleep and eat for a couple of days. Right. You know, right. You know it's funny because – well, we tested out basketball this week a little bit. We did some cleans on Monday, bench press. We did a little bit of squatting. We, actually, a lot of guys PR'd on, on those lifts already, and we're going to test them next week. But today we did a lift. Now, they're off all this afternoon, Saturday, Sunday. Now, Monday I'm going to do those performance tests, and I'm hoping they're very fresh and recovered from that because there's no basketball yeah. this weekend. Yeah. So I'm hoping they come in on Monday, they're ready to rock and roll because I, I cut the volume down on all my supplemental movements. So like I told I kind of baited them. I said, hey, if you PR on the clean today – you, we're supposed to be heavy triples, about 85, 90%. Well, you can do your triple there. You know, you can break it up into a couple of singles. Hey, if you PR, if you beat your old max today, then you, you ain't got to do RDLs or the split squats. Okay, coach. So if they gave me the intensity, I backed off the supplemental movements so that they weren't too gassed for right. next week. As opposed right. to hitting a new PR and doing all the supplemental or accessory work, I'm kind of dumping a little bit on the. On well, the see, I think that's all, sometimes the concern. What you see, like young guys, you know, they look at muscle magazines or, and gals too. I mean, gals are actually a little bit more robust against muscle damage and some of that stuff on some level. I think, yeah. but, at least according to science, you know. But uh, then they expose themselves to way too much intensity and volume, like what you just said. Yeah. If you go a little bit more intense, we'll cut the volume. Yeah. To them, it feels like a reward. Yeah. But as a strength coach, you've just traded a little bit of volume for the intensity because you can't have both. No, you can't. And, and, and that's and that's where kids overtrain. Is like a lot of wrestlers come in, and they're great to work with. Those guys will work hard physically. Yeah. Physically, they're probably the physically toughest team I have on campus. Okay, They'll do anything. You know what I mean? And they're so used to just beating their bodies up. And... They think that it doesn't count if you're not sweating, and they think it doesn't count if. And I, I think you should be sweating. You should be warm, and but if you don't go to failure, and a lot of times you don't want to go to failure. You want to leave a couple reps in the tank, or if you're doing sp- like power cleans or speed work, you don't need to go to failure to get better. Come back and do it again. Come back and do it again. Do some repetitive tempo work, and your technique gets better, and you train the nervous system and the efficiency of the movement pattern to get better, not just. Oh, I gotta fail every time, right? You know, I don't. I mean, very. Well, that's part of bodybuilding culture, right? I, I mean, I, mean I, I got this from from uh, Cal Dietz's book, uh, Triphasic Training. We do some eccentric work, but it's not hundred, you know, hundred and ten percent for eccentrics for hypertrophy. It's teach the kids how to load the muscles properly, how to squat properly, and, and load load the hips and then stand up and tempo your reps, but not heavy eccentrics. You know, that's just gonna gas yeah. the nervous system. And I admit that was one of my 
my faults, you know, for years of tra- I loved eccentric. I like the feeling of being sore. Yeah. You just know you're growing. Oh, it's yeah. like feedback. I gotta, I gotta have the pump. You know, yeah. That kind of yeah. Stuff. Well, yeah. Well, you know, you do your heavy negatives, then you do a set for a pump, you well, know, but then for the next two days, sore, you're so better, swollen, right? you can barely go up the stairs, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and there's a place for that, you yeah, know. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. So let me ask you that. So, how do you weave in some of what you do with periodizing, mm-hmm. you, you know, even if just the first part, like there's conditioning, then you move into hypertrophy before you get into more strength and power? in sort of a linear system where do you fit in hypertrophy i guess it depends on the sport and the team like what their right. their annual season is like right. right usually uh if we use the word hypertrophy as from the standpoint of preparing the body for heavier loads a little protection in the shoulders protection in the trunk i'm thinking like weight gain so muscle weight mass gain, gain right is usually the off season mm-hmm. usually the off season because that's when the, the athletes aren't playing their sport and i can tax them a little bit i can push on them and they're not playing their sport for three hours every day. You know, so you have an opportunity to use that caloric expenditure in the weight room and put it back in versus cranking up in the weight room, then they go play basketball for three hours. Right. So Hopeless some, some, calorie deficit. Yeah, right they're there. just blowing the calories yeah. so they can't even recover from what they're doing on their own. So I would use hypertrophy from a size gain or trying to get an athlete bigger, um, usually in the off season. I'm not gonna try and hypertrophy in the season. That 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 to me, unless they're a red shirt. They're not playing games. They're not traveling. Oh, right, sure. They're not doing that when they don't have that exterior stress from the weight room. You know, that external stress of their sport itself pulls from the weight room gains. Um, I keep my volumes pretty low when the athletes are in season. Do you think you're good at hypertrophy? Can you make almost anybody grow? I think that if anybody eats, absolutely. Let me rephrase. You can, what team is a, a huge challenge for you to get to grow? Basketball. Like, okay. Basketball. Uh, and, and, and partially because those guys never stop. Like, they don't ever stop. Like, even like this summer for me with our guys, I did in a total of nine weeks with them. I did, which is five to eight, 45 workouts, four to five actually conditioning workouts. That's Wow, it. yeah. Because I don't want, because their, their, their coaches get two hours a week with them. They do like four 30 minute sessions or something like that. And I'll do some sand pit stuff to give our joints a break, and we'll compete and do wheelbarrow walks. We'll do some strongman challenges, yep. which is conditioning. But, like, I'm, it, it's tough. They're, they got long bodies. It's a book, like, pure nutrition textbook, right? You know how the, you, can, you can express basal that, metabolic that rate? It's not just per kg. Sometimes it's on oh. meters squared of surface area. Yeah. That, those guys are – they're like – they're like a power lifter that's been stretched up another they're foot and hard. a half. They're all surface area. They're losing all their heat to the environment, which means their metabolic rate is screaming. How do you get those guys in a calorie like surplus? Three you know? to five percent body fat. I mean, they're lean. Well, like you said, they're overtrained, and then their body shape it's because hard. they're not. I think about like a power lifter, like a a dice, like a die, you know, a refrigerator. I was always laughing about Rob, you know, being a refrigerator. And a lot of his body weight is internal. Mm -hmm. But if you stretch all that and you're nothing but surface area, I mean, think about like, think about the radiator on the, it's on the front of your car. Why? It's this big flat thing and the air rushes over it and it cools it down. Well, if you're a homeotherm and you hold your, your body temperature at 98.6 or 37C, whatever, then... Well, How do you? Of, you're, those guys are rifling so through calories right. like crazy. So here's one of the things I did is is I did just that. We trained three days a week, and what I did was instead of doing all those eight to twelve reps on that stuff, I brought their volume down per set. But I did multiple sets. Like we did um, longer bodies sometimes respond better to partial movements. Oh, okay, yeah. Like board pressing, 
rack pulls as opposed to full deadlifts. Everyone thinks the greater the range of motion, but think about how long they are. They're, they're moving, even from a partial deadlift, like an RDL or a rack pull, they're still moving the bar like two feet. Right. Where I move a deadlift, I move the bar two feet. So right. it, it's about mechanical work and time under tension. So we did some, we did some snatch grip pulls. I look at some muscle groups that I feel are you, you can, they're hard to overtrain. They're hard to overtrain the traps. It's hard to overtrain the triceps. It's hard to overtrain the calves. Not that we train our calves directly for you sure. know, visual yeah. or, or vanity purposes, but those are some things. So we did a lot of rack pulls. If guys came in for extra work, I gave them extra you know, shrugs. Things that you could thicken up, like I worked construction all through high school and college, and I think about the strength I gained just from manual labor, you know, picking up, pushing, wheelbarrowing, stuff like that. So digging, digging ditches. So I was physically strong, although I was burning it, you know, eight thousand calories a day in construction, but I was strong. So I figured if I could use some of those basic principles, those basic movement patterns, even if they're in our world a partial range of motion. A board press for a guy that's 6'10", that's got arms that go from here to here, if he stops here, he's still working a lot of muscle. Mm -hmm. And then we did, like I said, sixes, fives, and fours, and did four to six sets of that. Now, I tried to really put a damper on going to failure too much, going to failure because that just amps up the nervous system. And now, again, teaching technique and doing all those things, but I would say they're probably my hardest group to get to gain weight Outside, let's say they're eating everything. It just a lot of it has to do how they're built. Yeah. You know, some guys you can they look at weights and they get bigger. In genetics, you know how that plays a role. Well, in sometimes it's maturity and education level yeah. too. If they only understood how much further they could get yeah. ahead, if they could somebody that tall, frankly, you put an eighth of an inch across their quads and they just gained twenty pounds right. over the course of the summer. You know, so I mean, spread it out that they can make bigger in absolute numbers. Right. You know, right. than a smaller uh, person if they would only just. Not like like if I had them. Not devalue that other ninety percent of their training. If they did day. two months of not playing basketball, which isn't going to happen because they need to be skilled. They, sure, you could make better gains because the metabolism slows down finally. You know, wrestlers. Once we get to the spring and the season's over, guess what? They start eating. Yeah, and they blow up. And the coach is like, "Hey, have fun with it, man. Make them as big as you want right now because it's only for like five to six weeks. That's fun." Yeah. You know what I mean? That is fun. That, that's fun to watch these guys get yoked. And well, you know, let's say back in the day with you and I, I mean, it, it's fun to to bulk up. Yeah. You know what I but mean? But these it's guys are that. lean because right. they, they've been deprived. Oh, totally yeah. deprived for how many months? Our coach is really good. He hasn't make many, we don't have many guys that cut weight in season. They're usually around 8 to 10 pounds per week, which is pretty good. Um, they can, they can, you know, it's water and stuff. And the guys are doing a better job of being healthier throughout the course of the year. Yeah. But they know when they're done. It's like, hey, Wings, pizza, they're going to have fun with it, you know. I, I remember back when some of the research that we were talking about before we hit the record button uh, in the lab just over in the next building. You know, uh, I had a, a couple of wrestlers, and we were doing early days of creatine research. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, that makes you retain water in your muscles right, and everything. Right. And, and one of these guys put on like 10 or 12 pounds in a five-day creatine load. And it, just, it sort of emphasized to be a wrestler, right? Yeah. Like you just live so depleted, you don't even know. Yeah. how dehydrated and depleted you are. Yeah. And I mean, he wasn't just dehydrated to get on the mat. I mean, just in general, you yeah. know, he was so depleted. And just to watch him swell up like that, it yeah. just suggests well, that... Well, think about some guys are heavier on Mondays. Gly- yeah. Glycogen, water. Sure. You're not burning the calories. If you train Monday through Friday, if you're heaviest on Monday, a lot of guys lose weight during the week. 
because they're not putting it back in fast right. enough to oh, take yeah. care of themselves. Even now at work, I mean, I can imagine a lot yeah. of our listeners, you and I, could probably say that too. You know, I'm I'm the like, same way. Sometimes I'll be like, damn, I haven't eaten for like six hours today, you know, worse. <laughs> not good. I got a loaf of bread, a jar of peanut butter, and a thing of honey under here. There so you I, go. You know, can snack when I can throughout the day. Get it done. Well, plus, I mean, you've got the advantage of being in a university environment. You've got some uh, muscle milk and protein powders yep, and stuff yep, around. Yep. All right, one last question. Sure. Um, how can the traditional bodybuilder, powerlifter, somebody who's not on a team sports, what can they learn from collegiate strength coaching? We'll talk about, you know, non-competitive bodybuilders. With, with regards to the sport and however they test for things, the, the, the kid in high school that goes in the gym and picks up the magazine and goes, I'm going to start doing this, what they don't realize is they list what they're doing, what they're eating, but not always what they're taking. So and I'll be the non-chemically enhanced athlete, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. What they don't understand is you can only be – the body can sustain a lot of stress, but you've got to know when to wave and load that, that stuff and, and back off. And they say – some coaches say you've got to deload. Some coaches say, well, if you program right, you don't need to deload at all. And I think that if you're doing the nutrition and food right, you can go pretty far, but you've got you to gotta periodize your plan. You gotta have a plan. You gotta have some light days. You gotta have light weeks. Don't wait until you're you can't. Oh my God, I'm miserable. I take a day off. If you plan for it and plan for lighter days and weeks throughout the year, you can push through and be healthier and make gains. And that was that first summer I was talking about. You know, we went through what we went we went hard for four to five weeks, and we had a a week a, a short week on the on the Fourth of July. That week six came back and hit it week seven, eight, and nine, and tested. And I was like. It was right around that time, I told you, five, six, seven, eight, right around there, kids begin to over, it catches up to them. Yeah, so, overreach. Yeah, and, and if they don't look at, you know, uh, super compensation, you know, I got my little picture up there. When you increase stress, it goes down and you play catch up if you don't back down on, on your working volumes or intensities, especially with athletes that undercover. But take from it then the idea is step away from maybe the body part split from a while. Train total body. I'm a huge total body advocate. Frequency, especially young kids. You know, they've never trained. Stimulate on Monday, take a day off. Stimulate on Wednesday, take a day off. Stimulate on That's Friday. actually what I'm doing right now. You know, but and, it's and killing me, right? Because, because after bodybuilding splits my whole life, it's because it's not a theme day, if that makes sense. Like, you want to be squat day. You get right. a certain feeling. And you can get a squat you know, day. That's fine. And, and it doesn't have to be you squat Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It can be front squat, back squat, overhead squat, or single leg squat. But... The idea is you don't have to annihilate your body to make gains. Yeah. You have to stress it appropriately. Yeah. But, you know, everyone, I made great gains in six weeks, and then all of a sudden I hit a plateau. There's that six to eight week marker. What are you doing? What are you doing with your body? And think about all upper, all lower. You know what I mean? Think about those different things. Push, pull. You know, I, I call it Chris. I go press and post chain, squat and upper body pull. Mm-hmm. Think about doing different things because... The younger, the non-chemically enhanced person that can't recover from that amount of stress needs to really look at that. And you can train hard. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're going to train hard and go hard, but you don't need to do 100 reps for chest. Right. If, you, if you do you know, five sets of five on bench press and follow it up with maybe a couple of sets of incline dumbbell press, that's fine. Especially if you're going to come back and do it. Stimulate, recover, stimulate, recover. Not annihilate and try and recover the whole week and try and do it again. Yeah. And after I did it, when I saw that, I'll probably never go back to that because I won't recover from that volume and intensity every single day. Right. I do. I, I think I've kind of come to the point in my career where I think there's there's even a time for that. You know what I mean? But yep. it can't be all the time. And I think to a lot of bodybuilders, 
uh, maybe not as much the power lifters, but it's like that, that's all the time. Yeah. That's just, you know, how, how much is that built into the culture? Annihilate your picks, yeah. trash yeah. your quads. And, and quads are on know. fire, roasting marshmallows over our quadriceps, yeah. you know, stuff that's like right. that. But the other thing, too, is think about what are your external stressors? Someone who has a desk job that might sit at a desk for six, eight hours out of the day, they might be able to do that every day and recover. Someone who works construction, which I did in the summertime, going to the gym, it's leg day, I'm getting stronger, but I'm not getting any bigger because I'm not seeing that the construction job is sucking all the calories oh, right. out of me all day. Or, or the a- high school athlete that thinks, i got to do this, this, and this, but they don't realize that their sport is draining the nervous system or, or increasing stress hormones or, or caloric you know, expenditure. So you know, you've got to look at the big picture of where your stress is coming from. So the less your external stress, the higher your weight room stress can be via volume and intensity. Mm-hmm. But your, the higher your stress outside the weight room, from a job, from emotional, from right. whatever it may be, it's going to have an impact on your performance and your ability to recover from that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm not knocking the body part split. It's not for, you know, body, that's fine. But from an athletic standpoint, you know, become a stress manager and look about, think about what's going on. Right. With what you're doing. Right. Cause it enables you to actually up the frequency. I mean, that's yep. what's drawing me toward it, right? Yeah. I started playing with it last summer because I've gotten to the point where I can't, you know, I was bitching before we hit the record button, but I can't lift uh, the amount yeah. of weight that, you know that I've I've sometimes done in the past. So, th- but this, in a way, it's better because I can actually get chest, leg, and back stimulation Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's three right. times a week. I've just without, am I going to make gains three without, times as fast? Because I'm right. not going to waste my time. I'm just not right. going to ruin myself. Right, and you, you know? and, and you can recover faster, so you're more comfortable in everyday living. I mean, you know, I've been here. And I've tried, with all due respect to Westside, with all due respect to Joe Cannon, the tier system, I've tried templates like that for myself. You know, how am I, I want to read their book and read their stuff and try it. Now, I wouldn't put myself as a world-class powerlifter. What do I have any business doing? You know, the conjugate method. But you know what? It works. So I want to try that. And I want to see how it works for me. And I'll use some variations with athletes at certain times of the year. Mm-hmm. And that, like right now, I'm using a, a variation or a modified variation of, of a tier system. And with all due respect to, to House and, and that, it isn't the tier system. But I, there is some value to that. You know, Cal Dietz with his triphasic training, you're using how you vary your rep, your tempo of your rep. All training works. This is Buddy Morris. All training works. It doesn't work forever. Mm-hmm. So you've got to change things and play with things. And, and the weight room is my laboratory. I read it. I think about it and go, okay, will this work with my athletes? Is it appropriate for their sport? Is it appropriate for their training age? Is it appropriate for the amount of focus that they have in the weight room? And I think that's part of a college strength coach is you could have your program, oh, I'm an Olympic guy, I'm a hit guy, I'm a West Side guy. I think that yeah, that's great. But if you can't, you ask your athletes to adapt every day to stimulus. If you can't adapt as a coach to your athletes and what room you have, the size of your room, the tools you have, you're not going to be very good. You've got to adapt to different coaches asking for different goals. Not everyone is the same. Not every, not every program I use with basketball or wrestling or football is the same every year because the team changes. Mm-hmm. We get new kids that come in, kids that graduate. You know, you'll goblet squat, you'll back squat, you'll box squat. You use chains and bands. But the key is knowing when to use those tools or training model in your program to help your kids get better to meet the demands of the sport and the goals the coach has for them. And hypertrophy may be one of them. It may be size training. It may be just let's protect their ankles and knees and hips because they jump every single day. 
You know what I mean? Right. It may be wrestling. They get their shoulders get turned around and twisted. Let's mobilize their shoulders and, and balance out the shoulder joint versus the kids that come in the bench press in high school and they can't actually rotate their arms. Right. So we've got to fix the shoulders a little bit so that they're a little bit healthier. You Open know? them up. Yeah, you train know? the posterior yeah. chain a little yeah, bit. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you know, volleyball players that come in knock knee, you know, quad dominant. Let's train the posterior chain so they're more efficient. Teach them how to jump, how to land. So, um, you know, those are ways we use hypertrophy in our training model here. And it's one way of doing it. And I use it because it works with the kids I have. It may not be the way they, like you said, I'll Akron down the road. Yeah. But, uh, you know, everyone does it differently. And if you're, if you're making progress, then think about what you're doing and, and then how can you modify this to keep getting gains and, and look at the big picture of things. Yeah. I think a lot of when YouTube, I keep ripping on YouTube, but, or the Internet in general is your only source of information, you know. And I, that's what we try to do on here on Iron Radio, right? We go to educated guys who've also lifted themselves, you know, and they work in different aspects yeah. of muscle sports. I mean, all sports are muscle sports on some level. Now, resistance training didn't used to be part of everything like it is now. Yeah. But they buy into a system, starting strength, west side, whatever right, it right. is. And it sounds to me like what you're saying is they sort of limit themselves in that way. Sometimes. Because they, you know, they become such disciples of a certain way of doing things that they don't open themselves up to different ways of, you know. And I think it's the biggest thing that I've learned. You know, I, I've been a, a collegiate strength coach for 14 years now. Like I said, I've been, I'm 40 years old. I think the biggest thing is learn. The day I stop learning is the day I stop getting better. Well, it takes time to develop yeah, wisdom, right? Yeah, because I think, and, like, for someone like yourself, I mean, you can't chase every program four weeks on this, four weeks on that. Four, you'll never get right, anywhere. Right, you right. know what I mean? So you, there's, you might read this and go, you know what? I remember at this time of the year, this program worked really well. Let's use some of that stuff right now. And you, you pick and choose what works for you and your program. And the, the weight room here is small. It's like 2,000 square feet. But the field house weight room is 5,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. If I have a different room, I might do something different because I can get 36 wrestlers doing something totally different than in a small room. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff we do is based on those, those limitations, you know, the training age limitation, the facility limitation, injuries, mobility, what they can and can't do, squat depth, and you know, front squat versus back squat with short torso guys and long, you know, long femurs. They're usually better at front squatting than they are at back squatting. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, the, the back, the bar, they pulls them out of balance. So mm-hmm. uh, I give them a choice sometimes when we squat. So yeah, you have to look at all those things. Cool. All right, well, we're just about out of time. Thanks for joining awesome. us. Thanks for having me. I Sweet. appreciate it. Okay, everybody, we will uh, we'll be back next week again. We've been doing a lot of on-site stuff lately with conferences, and you know, here we are in a university weight room and that sort of thing. But uh, we'll be back with the regular stuff next week. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. 
There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.